0: If you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we are going to begin uh, with uh, verse 17. The world in which we presently live is one that we ought to be aware of, but we ought to be aware of it from God's perspective. And out of that will rise, I hope, uh, a new and deeper appreciation for the gospel that has uh, reached your life in Christ, and that you will have greater love for the Lord as a result. Ephesians chapter four, and um, I'm going to begin with verse 17 and um, actually go to verse 24 because it's two parts. Uh, The first part from verse 17 down through the verses tell you what the world is like. Um, The second part speaks to us about what Christ has called us to and what the Christian life is like. So then hear then the Word of God, uh, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And may God then add His blessing uh, to the reading of His holy and precious Word of God there is a tremendous pressure being applied generally in our culture to conform uh, to the many changes that are occurring in culture. I think that that pressure to conform ought to be something that the church of our Lord uh, needs to be very much aware of. It's been exampled in many ways, but I tell you uh, one of the ways in which it was impressed upon me in a most clear fashion. uh, There was a uh, that was a, a an incident in which there was a, a protest, and in that protest, uh, they were going to pull down a statue. That statue was of Andrew Jackson. Now, we won't say neither here nor there about Andrew Jackson, but what we, I don't like idols to begin with, <laughs> so I'll be careful about what I say there, but what I say is that they were pulling down this statue of Andrew Jackson. Uh, there was one young man uh, who was among them, and he began to try to discourage them from doing this. Uh, he thought that it was not an appropriate thing to do, and he disagreed with those who were engaged. And so they stopped pulling on the statue, and the leader with her bullhorn turned and right at him in his face said, do you agree with what we are doing? Do you agree with our principles? And she hollered at him again through the bullhorn right in his face. Do you agree with our principles and what we are doing? And he just very gently and quietly said, no, I I don't. I think what you're doing is wrong. And then she hollers, well, we don't want you here. Go away. Leave this place. We don't want you here. We don't want you here. And I thought to myself, wow. I thought about the courage of that young man. I prayed for that young man that day. Because I was watching it on television. And I was watching that if you disagree, we will shout you down if you don't conform. If you don't conform to our way, we don't want you here we don't want you a part of even our life we don't want you a part of what we're doing well the christians should pay close attention to that kind of tactic and that kind of way uh because that is something that uh, is is ever before us and uh, we need to ask ourselves then why why does the world uh see that it needs to needs to respond that way and you know the bible gives an answer to why human beings respond that way to life and the world. And uh, we need to pay attention to it. Um, The Apostle Paul calls the Ephesian Christians, as he has lifted up Christ and the glorious gospel in the first three chapters, uh, speaking of Christ and His supremacy and the all-sufficiency of His redemption. And uh, he speaks to them as believers and he warns them about a certain way of life. And that is their former way of life before they came to know Christ. And this is what it says. This I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord. That is, Paul says, the Lord. The Lord, we're together on this. And he says uh, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. That you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. I think that it's one thing for us to have an opinion about um, what the world looks like. But I think it's another thing to look at God's Word and see how God looks at the world in its sin. Now, I'll tell you that the world really will not want to look at that because it challenges their mindset, the way of life. But I want you to know that in terms of all of those things of reaction and the ways of the world... The Christian is called to a different standard. The Christian is called to a different way of life. And the Apostle Paul is calling them to that very way of life here. And the point being, you are to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. You are no longer to kowtow to the pressure to conform to the world and its ways you're called in the love of the spirit don't you love the wooing and the drawing of the spirit in the christian life where the spirit of god just draws you into the christian life don't you don't you, he he doesn't he doesn't grab you by the throat and you know you need to do this and you do. don't you love the drawing and effectual calling and the effectual work of the holy spirit in our lives and may god give us then therefore to look at these matters Um, We are called to be a a people who live in unity. Uh, In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has come to that conclusion. Uh, The breakdown, the way it looks, is um, in those first three chapters, the Apostle Paul uh, develops that doctrine of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. And it's wonderful, the the superiority of Christ, the the, the, uh, effectualness of His redemption. And then he comes, as he does oftentimes at 4 through the end of the chapter, and he presents kind of a practical application of, of those uh, implications of the centrality of Christ and His redemption in our life. And chapter 4 begins that. Um, he's, how he begins, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And don't you love that expression and call to us as believers how we are to live in unity? But then he goes on and says that we're not only to live in unity in the Lord, in the bond of peace, but we are also to live in holiness of life. And that is what our Lord Jesus Christ brings to us when we come to know Him as Lord and Savior, there's a transformation of our life in which He brings us into the fellowship of the body and of the Trinity. But He also calls us into newness of life and a new way of life in walking with Him. And He says to them, walk worthy of your calling in the Lord Jesus Christ that you've received with all humility. And so, therefore, we see the call of our Lord in this way. But as he comes on down to to verse 17, he kind of reaffirms that and he expresses that again. And he says, This I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. And he expresses um, what he means by that. Um, The Holy Spirit does not leave uh, the Scriptures to uh, some kind of um, um, ambiguity About what he means, and what he means that we should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. And notice he gives three ways: in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Now our form of way of life, our formal way of life, is expressed in the futility of our mind apart from God darkened in our understanding, and excluded from the life of God or separated from God. Note d- those three aspects as the Scriptures speak to the world in its unbelief. God speaks of how He views the world in its sin. And He describes the nature of the world in those three ways. Now, I tell you the uniqueness about this in, in terms of Ephesians is that uh the, the whole matter of, uh, the philosophy of most of the Ephesians, we've been looking at this and also 1 Corinthians in our, our Bible study in the mornings. But, uh, what it is, is that that was a great premium, uh, placed by the Platonist upon, uh, the mind and reason. If you will remember what Plato, uh, held in the highest elevation, the highest elevation was uh, the way a man thought, was his ideas, his thinking, and so uh, the Greeks and even those at Ephesus put a put a high premium on man's thinking. They thought that it was uh, god, reason was the god that we should all attain to, and of course, material things, as we've looked at First Corinthians, didn't matter much. But um, but that's. Uh, That's not true. And notice where the Lord God begins in expressing man in his sin. Where it is. In the futility. What? In the futility of his thinking. Isn't that interesting? Poor Plato. (laughs) Uh, The Lord God contradicts him and says that sin... uh, has rooted itself in the whole being of the person and it is expressed in the futility of his thinking. And the futility of his thinking is that his way of thinking has been, uh, has been changed in such a way uh, that he is unable to see the truth and able to see the light and therefore he operates on that, that whole old nature principle and he acts on that old nature principle because that is all that he sees. And that is his logic. Some who have, uh, who have said that the way to God is through reason, I would, I would encourage you <laughs> to know that uh, our reason is not a God unto itself. And we have to be careful and ask God for what? A transformation of the way we think. Uh, and that's uh, what is happening in our culture today. I would say to you uh, that the sad thing about it is the way people are thinking. And oftentimes the thinking is that we can restore things by destruction. Isn't that isn't that a sad notion? We can we can make things better by destruction. And um, the futility of man's man's thinking uh is, is very interesting. There's a uh, was a lesson between um one of the dear pastors in Philadelphia and Benjamin Franklin had his shop and George Whitfield had come to uh preach in the square. And um, the preacher went and he was he was blessed by what Whitfield had said in open scripture and his heart was full and he Took delight in it and encouragement to it. And uh, as they were walking back to their shops, uh, uh, this dear pastor turned to Ben Franklin and asked him, Well, what did you think of uh, the sermon today? He said, Well, he said, um, I don't really know what the man was really talking about. He said, But boy, does he ever have a voice and does it ever carry? And he's a good orator. And that's all Ben Franklin had gotten out of. Out of the message from George Whitfield, and so as you think about uh, this particular situation, spiritual things are spiritually discerned, and as you look at uh, uh, situations like that, uh, our hearts have to be changed, have to be transformed by the by the grace of God. Our way of thinking, um, and it, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12 says. And uh, and that is an act of God in our lives. And we ought to pay attention to it. The futility of their mind and uh, being darkened in their understanding. And where does that go to again? It goes to the way of thinking. Darkened in their understanding. And The words here uh, express um, not only blindness, but it expresses a hardness uh, as, as a rock is hard. And also a, a callous. Have you ever had a callus? it the skin becomes very hard? Those are expressive of the unbelieving heart, that the heart is darkened in its understanding, or calloused in its understanding. Uh, and, and such were we before we came to know Christ. And if we look at the Gospel of our Lord and the work of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel in our lives, did not the Lord quicken our hearts in the Gospel? Did He He not soften the rock of our heart, the hardness of our heart? And I tell you what, that is expressed in the very life of man today. I'm not encouraged by the world as I see it today. I see a, a tremendous hardness of heart and no apologies for expressing it. Is that a good way of expressing it? I see a hardness of heart calloused, calcified, petrified, and we will not change. We refuse to change. We refuse even to listen to reason. We refuse, we refuse in the defense of the life, the dark life that we have. My dear friends, uh, it uh, ought to cause us to pay attention. It's one thing for us to look at the world, but it's another thing for God to describe what the world is like in terms of its futility of its mind, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, separated from God. And is not man in his unbelief at enmity with God? We, We forget to teach that. That in our sin, apart from Christ, we're at enmity with God. And my dear friends, how I love Romans 5 when we consider the Gospel. And it it, it says there, Therefore, having been justified by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Don't Don't you like that? Isn't that a beautiful expression of Scripture describing the influence of Christ and His Gospel upon our life? Our hearts have been made pliable. Our hearts have changed. Our way of thinking is different now. And Paul calls us to that different way of living. He calls us to himself to live for him, not in the foolishness of our heart. And I tell you where I find this parallel of describing a man in his sin. Uh, that you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Now, it's not saying that they are ignorant, ignorant the way we use the word. It means that they are not aware of certain things. We're not aware. that The true language in our sin, in the darkness of our life, There are just certain things that we are not aware of in that darkness. That's what the Apostle Paul means by that. And listen to the description of the day. And they having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. You did not learn Christ in this way, Paul says to them, if indeed you have heard and have been taught in Him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth." Uh, You have been made in Christ for holiness, righteousness, and truth. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's a different, different look than what you're seeing in the world today, for the most part. And I encourage you to look at that. Another place where I find this uh, really clear is in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 speaks that uh, God has revealed Himself and that which is known about God is evident within them. You know? So that they are without excuse. That is, that it, God has revealed Himself in that which has been made. Even us, uh, That uh, that that is evidence of the presence and life of God in that which has been made. For God has made it known in them. But then it goes on and it says, but yet... Um, they refuse to follow God and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now you can say that that's callousness in one way um, and it's not eg- eg- exactly callous as the way it's expressed in Romans chapter 1 but the-, the way it's expressed in the unbelieving life is that they sit on the truth. They they suppress the truth. They, they hold the truth down. And I think that that's why... In recent days, over the last number of years, we've had a great difficulty with truth, haven't we? I think that we've argued more about what truth is among people. And do you know, you know what the frustration of it is? You cannot expect an unbelieving world to have the same foundation of truth that you do. As a matter of fact, Pilate says what to Jesus? And what is truth? As a matter of fact, you see, the implication was that truth couldn't be known absolutely. That truth really was not something concrete. Uh, And today, truth is more relative in our culture than ever before. Well, you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe and uh, God really doesn't care if there is a God. (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) And so therefore, truth becomes relative. And so when people begin to debate... Well, they begin to look at issues and they begin to look at issues. What I found with my um my uh, dear Mormon friend <laughs> is that we just weren't talking on the same page <laughs> and you know what happened to us? We passed in the night <laughs> it, it was whoosh. <laughs> he he was there, and I was here with scripture, and we just didn't we just didn't touch base. don't you realize that people today are The reason they're not touching base is because they don't believe that there is truth. And so, therefore, uh, tell me how you're going to get a group of people together and cooperate when they don't believe in truth. Now, we have some of that foundation in our nation, don't we? Pray to God that it will be preserved. But I tell you what, relativism and humanism and even hedonism uh, is the order of the day. And I encourage you to walk walk carefully, circumspectly, walk worthy of your calling in the Lord in these days. Um, let, may you be known for righteousness and holiness and doing that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. May you have a heart for His Word and the things of His Word. It goes on in this uh, passage in Romans chapter 1 where it says not only that that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it known. And then second of all, however, man in his sin suppresses that truth in his unrighteousness. Sinful man suppresses the truth. They don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. As one of my friends said to me, he said, Lonnie, he said, you can stay over me with the college holidays. He said, you can stay with me over the college holidays, but I don't want to hear anything about Christ and the Bible from you. We got there and around the breakfast table, what is the first thing he starts talking about? My only comment to him was, I didn't think you wanted to hear anything about that Jesus and the Bible. <laughs> and what I could tell was what? He he was suppressing the truth and righteousness, but what? He couldn't really suppress it. He couldn't hold it down. It's like uh, the little boy at the dike. <laughs> the, the little place breaks through, and he sticks his finger in there so the water won't get out. But then all of a sudden, I love the little cartoon. And then another place, and he puts his other finger in there. And then another one, but he puts his foot in. And then another place breaks, in and it starts coming out his ears. <laughs> Listen, my friends, it's going to start coming out your ears. be very careful about what you do with the Lord Jesus Christ. You may seek to suppress the truth. You may rationalize your behavior. You may rationalize the conduct of the world. Well, don't you know those folks have a good cause? Well, that I wish we would sit down and talk about it rather than kill each other. Amen? But it shows that that, that's not the ground on which you're playing. The ground on which you're playing in the world is with darkness. And in darkness there is no light. So the playing field is stacked against you in this world. But I say to you, you remember words of Jesus? I don't want to be discouraging there. I just want you to know what you're dealing with as you go out into the world. In this world you will have trouble... You remember the verse? Oh, you know it now. In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. And you know, I'm glad to be in the Lord's house this morning. And I'm glad to be here knowing the Lord. I may not have all the answers that those folks want, but I tell you what, we have Christ and we have His Word and we have His truth and His light. And I tell you what, you should operate your life on that foundation. Be exemplary citizens in your community. Don't destroy. Seek to to honor Christ in your behavior, but be persistent. Expect difference. Expect challenge. Expect the challenge to conform. But I encourage you to be steadfast in Christ. Be steadfast in Him. And then, um, do you remember how Romans 1 finally puts it? That that, that not only what is known about God is evident within them, uh, for God has made it known, and yet they are a people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That was us before we came to Christ. We made all kinds of excuses why we didn't come to church, or why we didn't trust Christ, or why didn't we open His Word. What were some of your excuses? (laughs) I've still got my list. I just look at it every once in a while just to remind me (laughs) of what I used to say. But I I, I say this to you finally. Do you remember how Romans 1 ends in that context? And God... Do you remember what it says? And God gave them over in the hardness of their heart, to those things that they were engaged in in darkness. The Lord God said, that's the life that you want. That's where you find your satisfaction. And you don't want to hear the truth. What does God in His Word say? You persist. He gives them over. He allows you to uh, follow out a dark and blind and sinful life to its end course. And we know that its end course is not good. But I tell you what, we ought not to leave it there because the application is for us as Christians. My dear friends, we just don't delight in describing how God looks at the world that is in our formal way of life. But we look at the call to our life to be what God is called to be, us to be in His Son. And dear friends, I think that the important thing for you as believers in this day, be examples of the faith. Walk with Christ in His truth. And pray for the world around you. Listen, uh, I've tried to save some people. <laughs> I don't really mean that. I'm just picking on you. <laughs> what, I mean, what I mean by that is that uh, I have gone out and tried to speak the gospel without deep, deep prayer, knowing that the heart of the reception of the gospel of Jesus Christ is with the Lord God Himself and His Spirit. And my dear friends, uh, going out and seeking to win a friend to Christ um, requires great prayer because it you may be an instrument in God's hands to proclaim the gospel, but what? Who is the one that saves? It is God that reaches into a man or a woman's heart and transforms us. And as you think back on the Gospel when you were saved long ago, don't you know it's true? Don't you know that you sat there in the darkness of your sin and in your life and you knew nothing about the spirituality and the goodness of Christ in God? You, you sat there and were living in your life of sin and you knew it. He knew it. But then the testimony of person after person. Pastor, something happened (laughs) when I was sitting in that service. You know, for the first time, uh, I began to see that, that I was guilty of breaking all of God's law. I was a guilty sinner on my way to hell deserving that by the hand of a righteous and holy God. And then to hear that preacher proclaim that the debt I owed in my sin for the holiness of God was paid for by Jesus Christ and He fulfilled the law of Christ on my behalf and my sins were forgiven when I accepted Him. And that worked, by the way. He said, I don't even know where that came from. I remember what uh, one fellow said. He said, uh, Dr. John Fain, Dr. Fain was from Hendersonville and he came and the fellow sat on the back row and uh, he said to his friend, he said, well, I accepted Christ tonight. He said, this is, this is just great. The first time I've ever heard uh, something like uh, Jesus dying for our sins and that type of thing. And he uh, and, uh, said, well, I'm, I, when, when the, this is over, I'm not going to say anything. And uh, sure enough, as soon as the service was over, Uh, My friend was talking to Dr. (laughs) Fain after the service about what it meant to be a Christian. (laughs) And and so, my dear friends, when our Lord effectually calls us, uh, we can't help it, can we? And I would say that if your faith uh, is reluctant, uh, that is, uh, you have such a faith that you say, um, I don't know about all that and I don't know whether I can go that length. Uh, If your faith is not inevitable to you, You know what happened to me? When the Lord saved me, I couldn't help it. (laughs) I couldn't help telling my mom. I couldn't help telling Reverend McNutt. I couldn't help it. Because the Spirit of God changed the heart. You pray for your neighbors who you know need to know the Lord. You pray for them. And you pray, Lord, I'm not... I'm not a strong person. And I don't know whether I can even say it all right. Well, I tell you what, dear friends. You let the Lord lead you. You use your Word. For all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And my dear friends, you be faithful to that. And you let the Lord work, okay? You let the Lord work. By the way, I don't want to stand before God and talk to Him about how many lives I didn't save. (laughs) I don't don't think that's going to be the conversation. But when I stand before the Lord, I'm going to look at the multitude that He saved. Amen? I'm going to look at the multitude that He saved. And I'm going to rejoice. And I'm going to be glad that we who were dark in our heart, that we were changed. That we were allowed to see Him in the glory of who He is in His salvation. Someone said, "Well, Lonnie, why did the Lord save you?" And you know, I still say, I don't I don't, know. "I don't, I don't know." How about you? Because sinners deserve a lot, don't they? Never pray that justice will be had in your life, because if you are shown justice, the Lord just might give it to you. But pray for His grace in your life the grace of Jesus in others' lives that you love. How can I reach them, Pastor? Pray, pray, pray that He would work in their lives. Amen? May the Lord be with you. May He grant you grace as you seek this world. God sees the world as it is. Now, the world, I'm convinced, won't like the picture But I encourage you to be faithful to the Lord, and to know that that was your former way of life, and to be careful to walk worthy of your calling in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you today, and uh, your mighty work in our life through the Holy Spirit and the Gospel, Lord, it has been an amazing journey. And Lord, the remarkable thing about it is, in, in terms of its work, is, Lord, you, uh, you are not finished. You're going to complete your work in our life that you started. He who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of the Lord. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Lord, we turn our hearts to you and we thank you for your mighty work in our hearts. We pray, Father, that we would not uh, take this description of the unbelieving world and gloat over it. But, the Father, that our hearts might be broken. And that, Father, we might fall on our knees and our face and we might pray, Lord, we need revival today more than ever. We need Your truth and Your love and Your compassion, Your forgiveness, repentance, faith. Lord, we need the things of our God through Christ in this world and in this generation. Lord, we pray that You would pour out Your Spirit, Father, that Jesus Christ would be known and believed upon and trusted for salvation, alone as He is offered in the Gospel, and that You would save. Lord, if there are any here who, Lord, are struggling with where they stand with the Lord and in these matters, Lord, give them a heart for Your Word. Have them to open it up and open their hearts to the truth of it. And Lord, may they see You for who You are in all Your glory, in all Your compassion, in all Your mercy. But Lord, we would be careful to see You in all Your holiness, in all of Your righteousness as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.